Hello, and welcome to Outside Inside Radio. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, one of your co-hosts. And I'm Ella Turen, also one of your co-hosts. We are really excited today. We have an LA artist in the house, Preston M. Smith, who podcasts as the living artist. Welcome to Outside Inside Radio. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Been listening to your podcast, and obviously the first thing I wanted to ask was what inspired you to create a podcast for other artists to kind of give them the lay of the land? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, thank you for having me on, and I love what you do, and thanks for putting my podcast out on uh, KSPC also. I started the podcast basically because it was an itch that I needed to scratch personally. Like I had a lot of things that I learned throughout the process. I've been doing this for almost 20 years. And when I started, there was no real online art marketplaces. There was nothing like that. It was the old gallery system. And so I kind of cut my teeth doing the old school way. But I also found that to not be super friendly always. Uh, you're both artists. I'm sure you know all about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, I never get any pushback on that. And so I wanted to basically just share some things that I've learned along the way. Also create a little bit of a community amongst artists. Because I know, especially living in Los Angeles, being an artist, it can be very isolating. And it doesn't feel like there's a lot of community. So I wanted to have people on. I wanted to have an open dialogue. I wanted to share secrets and tips and tricks and hacks and all those things. And hopefully help people. You know, if, if somebody can learn from what I did and cut out some of the steps that I had to go through, then great. And also, I'm all about cutting out the middle person and just taking some of the power back and being able to sell your own art. I subscribe to the whole starving artist, tortured artist stigma. And I mean, I got a lot of good art out of it at the beginning, but it also held me back in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I just it's all about kind of taking the control, putting it in your own hands and getting your art out there, making a living as an artist, hence the, the title. I love that you are reclaiming this moniker of the starving artist or in some ways rejecting it you know and saying that you don't actually have to live in this negative space to be thriving and even to consider yourself an artist I know a lot of people who I come across who actually make art but don't want to call themselves an artist Mm -hmm. because they feel like there's some kind of credentialing or some volume of work that they have to have created in order to be able to call themselves an artist Yes, And I think some of the starving artist thing goes into it as well. So can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. And <laughs> I get a lot of that with online, for example. I did, you know, I'm represented by a gallery, so I do show in brick and mortar galleries. And I've been doing that for a long time. But I, there's a lot of pushback with, oh, selling art online is not, that's not legit. That's not a legitimate way to make a living as an artist. Or you're not a legitimate artist, like you're selling out, which I have a real problem with selling out. So the term selling out, if you want to talk about that. But I think, you know, it's a viable way to make a living. It's there are collectors, I have over 400 collectors around the world who bought my work who wouldn't have bought it otherwise. I'm in their houses, I'm in like schools, you know, that has given me a lot of exposure. And it's helped me to make a living as an artist. So I call BS on that. And I think that there's a lot of artists now with the pandemic, especially who were subscribed to the old school way of thinking brick and mortar galleries. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't go to brick and mortar galleries, we had to do everything online. And there was this kind of mad scramble to get online all of a sudden. 
button. And now it's becoming a little more accepted, I think. But yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that people will tell you, oh, you're not a real artist, or you have to create this much art before you can call yourself an artist, or you, you can't be a social media artist. Everybody has their own path. I'm all about that. I will give you my path. I will give you things that I did and things that worked for me, but I won't ever tell anybody, no, that's not that's not legit. Because I got that a lot. I, I remember pounding the pavement, going into galleries with my resume and my portfolio. And, you know, yes. interns. You did it the old school way. Yeah. I even came in in a suit a couple of times, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, people would be, some would be receptive. Some wouldn't be. I got a lot of bitter interns that would just take my work. And then they would oh, just right. laugh on the, I would hear them laughing on the way out. Like, Ooh, that's harsh. I mean, it's not that they looked at my work or anything, but it was just like, we're not going to pass this on to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. So, yeah. So that's it. That's brutal. And I think whatever works, as long as you're kind of honoring your craft and, and staying true to yourself as an artist, it's all fair game. Can you talk a little bit about the type of work that you do? Yes, I can. So this might be a recurring theme in this podcast. We'll see. But I started off doing a lot of figurative work. I was old school. You both right. studied art. And I had a professor who was like a painter for 40 years in Boston. He taught me all the, you know, drafting. I, I, I've been drawing since I was a kid, but we did still life. We did portraiture, all that. And I almost didn't even get a chance to do any abstract work until after college. But I came to L.A., I was going to be an actor and a painter, and I, I quickly just decided to, to focus on the uh, the paintings. And I just did pop surrealism. I was doing really dark, very personal pop surrealism, a lot of figurative work, a lot of self-portraiture. Even a lot of my figurative work, people was pretty much disguised self-portraiture. And it was really dark, you know, and, and a lot of people at the time were saying, oh, I love your work, but I don't want to hang it in my house, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is now that I, I've switched, I sell a lot of my old work. So for anybody out there who thinks there's no niche for you, there's no audience for your work, there's always an audience. As long as I think you're being true to yourself, there's a, an audience for your work because it's kind of the human condition. Your experience is partially the human condition, right? So that's what I always tried to do. And then as I became happier in life and started to get out some of my own demons and repression that I had going on in my life, my art just became colorful abstract like textured work and i've been doing that for about eight years now and it's just opened up it's a whole new world for me i was already saying i've already break into song but um <laughs> it, uh yeah so that's just that's what i do i love it i love i love just you know putting more beauty out into the world now and I, also beauty can be dark it doesn't have to exactly. be flowery colorful i do some dark stuff too still and that can also be beautiful you're also a musician right i dabble i haven't played <laughs> I was in a not claiming that space yet, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was in a punk ska band in college. I played singer. I played oh, trumpet. Wow. Yeah, you know, we played the Warp Tour a bit, and it was great. I mean, it was amazing. I love playing music, but I don't. I don't really play anymore. I sing to myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a fan club of one. Right. <laughs> you could reach one person. You know, we won't expect any singing on your podcast anytime. Oh, I sing on the podcast. Oh, yeah. There's a couple episodes where I sing for sure. Yeah. It's embarrassing, but you know, I'm the same way with my podcast that I'm with my art. If whatever I'm feeling, I just put out there. Well, that's one of the things I think about being an artist is you have to be incredibly vulnerable. Then maybe that's why people don't want to automatically call themselves an artist because it does require you to put your stuff out there. And like, I uh, have a habit of calling my artwork my children. 
because it does feel like you're giving birth to something and you like labor and you like you're, you're like fighting with it and it looks good but it doesn't look good and sometimes you feel like oh this is like the best thing and other times you're just like I just want to throw it out the window it's such a process and you do have to sort of go to those dark and bright places And that's not something that, I mean, we're not conditioned as a society, especially in America, I think, to be that vulnerable. Right. That's true. And I would even say a lot of men, especially, are not conditioned to be vulnerable, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always hate to just single out any gender or or any group, political group or otherwise, but uh, yeah, we're not conditioned to be that way. So I think that scares a lot of people and even more so than putting that out on canvas or like a sculpture, whatever your medium is, talking about your art. Talking about like once removed, talking about the vulnerability once removed and explaining that to other people is very difficult. And that's something that I'm always talking about on the podcast too. You know, we have to get better at that. Sharing your story and talking about your work a little bit. I'm not saying you can go too far with anything. You can do the over-intellectualization of art and just very, you know, esoteric, but you have to be able to talk a little bit about your process and what you do. I think that gives people an access into your work. And a lot of people want to know what you're about as an artist too. So I found I've had so many collectors who've, you know, related to me and my story, and that's was the initial connection, or it made our connection even deeper once they mm-hmm. learn about the story, we become friends. So I think that's really important to be able to, to talk about your work. But yeah, also the vulnerability in your work is key. I mean, I've always talked about exercising <laughs> demons. That's what I'm doing. That's what I used to do. It's a safe place to get all that out, transmute uh, some of these feelings into something positive. Yeah. And you also talk about how art has the ability to heal and transform. And many of our guests have talked about that, like what art has done for them in terms of transforming their lives or sort of like holding space for a pivotal moment in their lives when things were in a dark place, maybe. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on that and maybe how that has looked for you in your process and your journey? Definitely. The power of art to me, there's so many different ways we can speak about the power of art, but it is about healing. That's one thing. And I just had a, an artist on my podcast, Sarah Svetlana, and it was all about healing. She had some struggles and it saved her life. I know it saved my life. And for me, I think a lot of the reason why I was painting the way I was painting for 14 years was I had so much inside of me that just needed to come out in a healthy way. And I was doing it in unhealthy ways as well. But that kind of kept me sane and that kept me grounded enough to actually function in the world. I think it's one of the best forms of healing. I can recommend to anybody. And what I would do is I started to try to not become afraid of these feelings. So I would put on some music like Elliot Smith, you know, very dark, very emotional. He also had his own demons that actually ended up getting the best of him in his life, which is horrible. But I mean, his, his music saved my life in so many ways. And being able to access that side of myself while I was painting and then putting it out there onto the canvas. I have some paintings that were really painful for me to look at after mm-hmm. I painted them. And now I love it because I've come such a far distance from that. I've become such a different person and so much healthier in so many different ways. And now when I look back on it, it's almost like a time capsule. It's like, oh, this, this is what I was feeling at that time. And it's nice to be able to kind of honor that with the work. Now, sometimes I've painted over some stuff that I've had in the past because it was too personal and, I'm, and I kick myself for doing that. But it functions as a way of getting it out, as a mode of healing, but also capturing a, a place in time and your own personal history, which is really cool. That's why we have retrospectives, right? Right, exactly. I know part of that healing process is some of our guests talk about when they make art, they're revealing themselves to themselves and also kind of constructing a new self at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you feel like you're constructing a new self sometimes or 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I have this self that you're seeing right now. I've constructed <laughs> the sense of humor was always there, but right. a lot of times it was pushed down and kind of beaten down by the world and my, you know, my childhood, my upbringing. It was, it was like wanting to come out, but I had all these layers on, on top of that. So almost like, I guess you could almost say deconstructing too, you know, taking right. away those layers, finding them, peeling back the layers of the onion to get down to that part that wanted to come back out. And because you have so many different ways that you, I mean, you're represented by a gallery, but you also sell your art online. The art world has a way of, I think part of the reason that people don't want to claim the artist space sometimes is because we don't value that space as a society. And the art world has created this idea where unless you're hugely successful, you're not really an artist. Right. But at the same time, they want it wants to sort of commodify everything. So how do you kind of balance putting out work that is obviously the public will like, but not commodifying yourself to the point where you lose yourself right. in that actual process of making art? That is a delicate balance. And it, it comes back to the whole selling out thing. There's a lot of people who will just say, well, first of all, we wouldn't have artists like Van Gogh and uh, Frida Kahlo and all these people. If these people were not they weren't commercially successful. A lot of the artists back then weren't commercially su successful, but we still honor them. Like they have shaped our history, art history and, and beyond. So you don't have to be successful. And also success is a relative term. Absolutely. Like for me, success was like, okay, I have a body of work. It's making me happy. I'm able to get out some of these feelings and heal in a certain way. And it makes me happy. But then it comes to a point where it becomes practical. You have too much art in your place. <laughs> I just, you know... <laughs> Right. Time to release. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, because you're right. They are like your babies. They are. It's hard. It's hard to let go of them sometimes. <laughs> but I've painted a thousand plus paintings now in my career. And it's like, you cannot hold on to that art. <laughs> I, know, right. I don't have a, my Andy Warhol warehouse, you know. So you, you get them up in your walls. But then when you run out of wall space, like I, I had an old place with my wife and we had these like 20 foot ceilings. And I was like, Spider-Man salon style, hanging all my work <laughs> and pieces up on my wall. So, you know, it becomes practical where you have to sell, but it is a balance. I think the only thing you really need to worry about as an artist is, are you being true to yourself? Are you being right. true to your art? Like if you're like looking up what's the highest, you know, most sellable genre of art right now, and you are painting that way, you do that multiple times. Oh, oh, three months from now, it's this. Oh, and now it's this. And now it's this. If you keep doing that, then you you might be, I hate saying selling out, but you might be selling out a little bit. I feel like it's completely <laughs> missing the point, right? You're right. like making art for an assignment rather than for like what moves you and what right. is feeling like it's coming from somewhere, a place of passion. Yes. And to your point earlier, Kathy, is that it's, it's also like you have to follow whatever your passion is. So that will change. Like I was a completely different artist 10 years ago. Now I do this. I didn't sell out because I'm still following that path. It still inspires me, but I don't like to put myself in a box and say, okay, now you can only paint this. I can only paint, like if you're a fluid artist, I can only paint fluid painting for the rest of my life. Horrible. Why would you become an artist if you're going to put yourself in a box? Like that? <laughs> but if you're going, oh, now resin's popular. I'm going to do resin. Oh, and now, you know, landscapes are popular. They're selling really well. Right. Let's do landscapes now. You know, it's okay to do those and to, to be inspired by all those things. But as long as it's coming from a genuine place inside, I think that's all that matters. Absolutely. Well, now that you have constructed yourself, you've been through the dark and the light, you know, how do you keep that motivation going? I mean, not that we've come to a place where it's like, okay, this is it. 
You mean, we're always kind of evolving and learning, but how do you stay motivated, especially during the pandemic? Like, can you even talk about the pandemic and what that's been like for you as an artist? Yes, it was strangely familiar. (laughs) (laughs) I get that because making art is an isolating process. It Mm -hmm. is, definitely. And I thought, look, I'm good. Yes. An excuse to just like pull up somewhere and just make some art. This is great. (laughs) And of course, being mindful of all the sickness and people who died, obviously that was horrible. But for me, my personal life didn't change that much, but I did end up really hurting my back about 11 Mm. months ago. And I'm still, I'm almost healed, but it took me a really long time. And I think that was a manifestation of a lot of the stuff that's going on with the pandemic, the stress that Mm. I wasn't really processing. And, you know, yeah, I came out in the art a bit. But that was not too hard. My wife also works at UCLA. She's in the medical field and she went, she didn't have, she didn't get to stay home at all with me. So it was kind of like our lives just went on the same way. The thing that started to bother me was not getting a break, not being able to get out and have the weekends or, or go out right. and see some friends, mm-hmm. to kind of replenish the well a little bit. So a lot of it I found was coming from, from within. I think staying inspired now is so easy. I mean, mm-hmm. so much to be inspired by whether that's a podcast like like yours, whether that's books or film, streaming, music, whatever it is, and it's all at your fingertips now. It's almost like an embarrassment of riches, right? Yes. And I think some of that can do, like I know there are younger artists out there now who have grown up with this and maybe they didn't see it before. I, count, I consider myself very lucky because I was one of the people who was on the cusp, like in high school before we had cell phones. You know, but then making the transition into adulthood and having the the cell phones and the smartphones and all. So, you know, I I learned how to occupy myself as a young child, drawing, being interested in other things. But now there's so many things that for me to be inspired by. But I also think I think it's the Chuck Chuck Close quote. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? Inspiration is for amateurs. Um, <laughs> like the like the muses for amateurs. Like I think you should be inspired, but I don't think inspiration just it's not going to come to you every day magically. Like yeah. you know, yeah. I think you have to get out there and do the work. For me, inspiration sometimes comes when I'm out in the studio, when I've set the canvas or the wood, whatever I'm working on, out. And sometimes I'm looking at it and I'm just not inspired. So I'll just force some action. I'll just force myself to start painting, and then it comes. That's mm-hmm. when comes when I'm starting to get into flow just just sometimes by the action of moving the brush or moving the tool whatever you're using and you know getting that out then you'll start to go, oh this color is interesting oh I like the way this stroke went or or this texture came out and then it starts to lead to the next and the next and the next but there's days where I don't want to paint at all you know it's not like every single day but I've gotten to a place now where I've treated it as my work like this mm-hmm. is my profession now I can go out any time of the day and I'll create something and, and I'll end up creating something that I trust that, that will be good. I'll start off, I, I'll hate some paintings, but then I'll paint over them in that same studio, in that same session until I'm happy with them. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's just, it's a great way to kind of force creativity and force inspiration to come. Do you ever feel like some artists or folks who are emerging have a fear that because it's something you love to do, that if you treat it as a job, that it will sort of like squash your passion for it. Have you been through that? Or do you still get that same feeling when you get inspired, that same kind of energy? I'm smiling because that's such a good question. I mean, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think I think the stuff that makes me feel bored or like I'm losing my passion is the administrative stuff. Because I think as an artist nowadays, you have to be a little bit of an entrepreneur. 
It is a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if right. you're going to decide to make a living off of it, sure. Definitely. Even if you're not going my route, which is selling primarily online, there's still, it's a business. You have to be even just getting the materials and, you know, mm-hmm. documenting that and counting the payment, looking for galleries. It's, it's a business. So those things are not that much fun, but I've learned to kind of enjoy the moments. Like I, every day I wake up, I have my routine. I, I work out, my wife goes to work, I work out. And then I, you know, I'll make some mate or some coffee and I come in, I'll start working on the piece that I have in the studio. I'll take pictures of it. I'll document it. I'll have like 30 pictures that I'm putting up online. I will put it up to like whatever, seven or eight marketplaces, including my website. Then I'll do my social media. And then by the time I'm done with that, it'll be lunchtime. And then I get to flip the switch and go out in the studio. So that's the thing that's really hard. I think for a lot of artists is the left brain, right brain thing. Like, oh, I, I've been doing administrative work all day. I don't feel like creating. Well, mm-hmm. that's where the forest creativity comes in. Or even just taking that little break to clear your head, uh, have some lunch, maybe do a meditation or listen to some music. Then you can go out to the studio and start creating. And I love it now. I mean, I've learned to even love the business side, which I'm telling you, you would not recognize me. <laughs> years ago. I was like, they haven't discovered my genius. <laughs> they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> How dare they not discover my genius? How dare they not know me, who, who's not out there in the world at all? Yeah, so I said somebody was going to come and just find me and just plaster me out there and get me all these collectors. And no, you got to hustle. You got to hustle. Yeah. And there's a there's maybe a half of a percentage point of artists out there who who get lucky and have mm-hmm. somebody that takes over for them. But I don't know any of those people. So even the ones who I know are very successful, they still, they work. They work at it. I just wanted to ask you really quickly about your opinion on the latest trend in art, the NFT. Do you have any thoughts on that? I knew it was coming. No, because you can't have a conversation about art now without talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know if you both did Clubhouse at all, but I actually stopped doing Clubhouse because everything just devolved into NFT. It was all about this. Every other room was about, I'm like, is it really that serious? Right. God, I had a friend, Alejandro Castagnon and I, we would do a, a panel discussion or we'd have, we'd lead a group and we would be talking about shipping and it would just, halfway through, it would just get blindsided by somebody who wants to talk about NFTs. It's fine. I understand it. Um, I actually had a guest on who's really doing very well in the NFT market. I think it's like anything else. I think it will Stand the test of time. I mean, they've actually been around for a long time. A yeah. Generations, right? So I think it will be here. It will continue to be something that is viable, that people can collect and buy. I just don't think it's going to be everything. I think we're going to have this, the brick and mortar. We're going to have the online and we're going to have the NFTs. I'm dipping my toes in. Uh, I started but before I hurt myself and then I just kind of got scared away. I had a little bit of a hacking problem. So I, I backed off, but I'm going to go back in and it's just going to be another tool in the arsenal. That's the way I see it. Sell a couple here and there. Fine. I'm not, I'm not expecting to make $5 million. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that bubble has burst a bit. The overnight wealth, the overnight success of the NFTs. What do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. I think there's always something sexy that's going to come around. Yeah. Very rarely though, do we, I think it's hard to say you can get away from the hard product. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't see a universe in which that goes away of wanting the actual real piece of art. I mean, even we've had glissés. I mean, there's there's like so many ways to reproduce a piece of art that has never completely gotten rid of getting the original piece of art. You're right. Even the texture printing 
Exactly. Right. Still not the same. Right. Still not good. the same. <laughs> I agree. I think there is going to be a, a place for people who want to be very minimalistic in their house and they'll have the NFT screen. And it's great. You can show hundreds of fine. And, I, and I, I love that. But I think I could see myself having a room in the house that's dedicated to that. But then, I, yeah, you're right. I don't think it'll ever go away. I kind of liken it to the movie business. I always thought TV came along, movie business is over. VHS came along, movie business is over. DVDs, <laughs> you know, streaming, everything. Right. It never went away. The The actual, uh, the only thing that really was threatening it was COVID, actually. Right, yeah. Because you couldn't go to the movie theaters and they couldn't make a living. They couldn't keep their theaters open. But I don't think any of these other things are, are going to take away from the physical art pieces. I will say I do like the fact that it brings different people to into the art world that maybe would not have had access or felt comfortable, you know, identifying themselves as collectors. So in that way, I think it's sort of democratizing mm -hmm. um, in a way, but also capitalism sort of takes over and then, then it becomes the opposite of democratizing because then it's yes. only the people with super loads of Bitcoin that can afford <laughs> to purchase right. anything. So, yeah. yeah. But to your point, I was listening to a different podcast and they had, I don't remember if it was the guy who created Ethereum or, or it was somebody like that. It was, it right. was, a, it was a big player in the whole crypto world. And he said he never liked collecting art before. And he was turned on to, NFTs, obviously he loved NFTs. He was turned on to an artist who was an NFT artist, but who was also a fine artist right. in, in the real world. And he said it kindly, like you said, it whet his appetite for collecting. And then he started collecting this artist, their, their physical pieces. I think there's a fear of the unknown that always comes up like, oh, well, NFTs are going to be the end of everything. And, and people freak out. I think it's always good to be on top of trends. As mm -hmm. far, I don't mean like painting trends like we were talking before, but like social media trends, you know, clubhouse, NFTs, whatever. And because there's always another avenue to show your work and to get exposure, but also just don't quit your day job. If your day job is art, you know, physically doing sculpture or painting, don't quit that too. Maybe just find a little bit of time, carve out a little bit of time to dip your toes in. Yeah, agreed. Sounds like good advice. One of the things that we've been asking folks to do is for our guests to share a prompt or some piece of inspiration that our audience can use to actually create some art. So do you have anything that you might want to offer our listeners, you know, something that they can use to create a piece of visual art or a piece of writing or a piece of music that would serve as inspiration? Yes. Well, there's a lot of things that we can do, but this might be a little unconventional. I don't know. We like unconventional. We're just okay, like okay. <laughs> well, one thing that I really have found inspiring to me recently, and it's a little bit of a subcategory of art that I do, and I'm just obsessed with, and it's becoming something that's really popular in the art world too. You know about assemblage or assemblage, whatever. I started to, out of necessity, I couldn't really afford materials at a certain point. And I just started getting in my car and going out and just going around the city of Los Angeles, going through alleyways, picking up discarded materials, hmm. bookshelves that I'd break down, clean up, bring home. I got a little freaked out about that during COVID, but I got back on, <laughs> I got back on, got back in the in the driver's seat with that. But just finding that kind of stuff and having that inspire you to create something that you wouldn't have otherwise created. Like I was pretty much strictly a surface painter uh, before that. Like I'd painted on everything, screens, windows glass, you know, wood, whatever. But this kind of got me a chance to break the plane, start putting mm -hmm. together some stuff, almost make some sculptural paintings out of what I do. And now I feel like the possibilities are endless. So I guess what I would say is 
it's upcycling. You know, I, I also like it because of my, my wife and I, one of our biggest things that we are inspired by is reversing climate change. So mm-hmm. that's another way to do it, upcycling material. So just, I challenge you to go out there and find things in your world that you can be inspired by, things that maybe wouldn't go together otherwise. Like, I don't know how many pieces, like my assemblage pieces have become like my biggest sellers. I've sold like 90% of the pieces that I've created. And I wouldn't have done that had I not just had the necessity, first of all, but then kind of followed that path. So follow that. Just be interested in what's going on on your street, I guess. I think that's a great way for people to be able to look around them and see what they've got and think about them as assets and creative mm-hmm. inspiration, that there's art basically all around you. It is. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities are limitless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Preston, for taking the time to chat with us and share your wisdom and your journey with our listeners as well. Definitely. So much fun. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you. It's good, good talking to you. And, and maybe we can get you on the podcast, on my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love it. Yeah. As a reminder, be sure to check out Preston's podcast, The Living Artist. Yes. Thank you. You've been listening to Outside Inside Radio. Brought to you by the Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. We are based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Arts and Corrections, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. If you'd like to respond to this week's prompt, send an email to packradio4 at gmail.com. That's P-A-C radio and the number four at gmail.com with the subject line outside inside prompt. We'll select responses to be broadcast on the show during the season. We look forward to hearing from you.